Good morning, lovely friends. How are you doing? You okay? Great to see so many of you here. I, I tell you, you, you do encourage me, you lot. Uh, it's lovely to see you here in the building because, you know, it's been a while, hasn't it? We've kind of, you know, we've been on this journey where we're just reforming, regathering. And it's just something very special about being here physically together in the building. And look, if you're watching online, you know, we'd love to see you as well, right? So, you know, I know it's difficult, but if you can come and join with us on a Sunday, we would really encourage you to do that. There's something special about God's people being together. And look, if you're a bit nervous about coming, let me just point out a couple of things. There is first class seating over here and over here, uh, extra leg room, and uh, we were proposing to give you a choice of wine when we do communion, perhaps in those areas. But if you are a little nervous about coming here and uh, there is uh, an area here that's just more sensibly, then you can space out the seats and that kind of stuff. So if that works better for you, then come and join us in those areas. But great, thanks for coming, guys. It's really good to see you and be back together in the same building. So we're in Acts. Uh, if you've got a Bible, have a look at Acts 24. And it's been a while. A lot's happened since we looked at Acts last time. Uh, so let me just recap the story. Uh, we get into the, we've been, I don't know, when, we, when did we start, John, on Acts? I was going to check. It feels like a year almost we've been, yeah, yeah. So we've been working our way slowly through Acts. Um, and uh, the story here now is getting to the point where uh, Paul is on trial. There's three sort of chapters we're getting into the next three weeks or so about Paul on trial. Now let me just recap, if you've not been with us much or not been on the uh, journey with us, The story is this, whirlwind stop story. Here we go. Paul was sent out to uh, take the gospel to other churches throughout the sort of Mediterranean region, the then known world. Um, Great success, great things happening. He eventually felt called to come back to Jerusalem, to come and see the original group of apostles in Jerusalem. And on various sort of parts of his journey back, he gets to a place to a place called Caesarea, and basically he was told not to go to Jerusalem. In fact, there was a prophet there, Agabus, who basically took Paul's belt off and tied his feet up together and says, that's what's going to happen to the owner of this belt. When you get to Jerusalem, you're going to be in trouble. So don't go, they all said. But he went anyway, being a good chap. And he got to Jerusalem, and it was all great to start with. There, He met with the apostles. He was blessed by them, encouraged by what they were doing. They were encouraged by what he was doing. And, and then they said, look, there's a few people here not very happy because they're devout Jews. Uh, but if you, um, we've got a bunch of guys who've taken this thing called a Nazarite vow. It's a, a vow of chastity, holiness. If you join in with them and you, uh, you do become ceremonially clean, uh, if you do that, then the Jews will probably like you for that. And that will be great. So he does this thing. He goes to the temple and basically a riot starts. Okay. They, they stir up an angry mob. They march with their pitchforks in the air on him. And they were going to tear him limb from limb, it feels like. But uh, the Roman army turns up, puts a stop to that. And then they decided, just because he's a lovely chap, they were going to whip him and flog him and beat him. And he said, hang on a bit, I'm a Roman citizen. I'm one of your lot. And they were all crumbs, they shouldn't have done that. Um, so basically, they then take him back into sort of into under armed guard. And then, just to cap it all, for heaven's sake, uh, a little bit happens where they find out there's now a group of 40 devout men who've taken this vow of chastity and abstinence until they've killed Paul. Lovely. And uh, basically, what happens is they find out about this plot and 
because the Roman guards find out about it, the Roman governors find out about it, and they say, oh, crumbs, can't have that. Uh, so in the dead of night, they pay 200 soldiers overtime to take him from Jerusalem back to, ironically, Caesarea. And he goes in front of a guy called Felix, who's the governor of the region, and he starts to go on trial for his crimes in inverted commas and so our chapter begins is that a quick we'll, we'll stop tour right here we go then let's read acts 24 together if you've got uh, niv text i've got that in front of me uh, it will come up on the screen hopefully as well by the magic of television here we go five days later the high priest ananias went down to caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named tertullus And they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertius presented his case before Phoenix. We, creepy statements coming up, we have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge with profound gratitude, nonsense, they hated them, but in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots amongst the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. Now, I know what you're thinking if you're reading on a tablet. What's happened to verse (laughs) 7? Is that true for some of you? Verse 7 seems to have gone missing on some versions. Right, so here's a little quirk for you. Uh, when they, uh, the original Greek Testament got, uh, New Testament got converted into English, uh, some of the early translators included this verse, okay? And later translations, when other manuscripts came to light, so in the last few, obviously the original translation was some hundred years ago, and the verses were kind of laid out based on that text. Now more modern translations have said, well, actually not every original Uh, ancient text had this verse included so they've relegated it to the footnotes I thought I'd just mention that to you just in case you see that it happens a few times in the New Testament I did think to myself if you're the sort of person that writes cards to people and likes to put a little verse of blessing in there you know maybe one day just put Acts 24 verse 7 see, see what they say see if they get any reaction anyway it simply says And we could have judged him in accordance with our law, but the commander, Lysias, came and took him from us with much violence, ordering his accusers to come before you. Verse 8. By examining yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges that we're bringing against him. The other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. They weren't, but that's what they said. When the governor mentioned permission for him to speak, Paul replied... I know for a number of years you've been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogue or anywhere else in the city, and they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that's written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always 
to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Let's read that last little bit. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean, important, when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here and bring their charges if they have anything against me. And we'll just cease our reading, I think, there. So we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that it speaks to us and it's living and active. Amen. Let's just pray together. Father, we just thank you uh, for just being in your house together. And we thank you for just reminding of your goodness and your faithfulness uh, through your word. And I just pray you speak to us now through it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have to be honest, my first reading of this, I thought, crumbs, thanks John, or thanks Sarah for giving me Acts 24, I thought to myself. And I just said, Lord, what, what do we say about this? Because it's quite a sort of just an historical narrative in one sense of Paul defending himself in this difficult trial. Uh, so I asked for a bit of divine help, and I felt the Lord saying to me, talk about trials. Talk about what it's like to be in trouble, to face trials because scripture reminds us that we face trials of many kinds james says to rejoice in it to consider it pure joy i'm sure we all do that every time we face trials and i felt just praying this week that god was just laying on my heart about just what we can learn from paul in the trials that we face what what nuggets of gold can we glean from Paul's stance, his position, his narrative, the words he used, and, and ultimately where it leads him? Uh, and I just felt the Lord was saying to me, you know, there, this can be applied to a number of things, right? But I'm going to call out some specific things I think God's laid on my heart uh, this week, and particularly this morning, if I'm honest. So if you're in a situation at the moment, where, maybe at work, okay, where bad situation at work that uh, something's gone wrong, you're being accused of doing stuff that's not true. That happens often, I'm sorry to say, in the workplace. Uh, This is for you this morning, okay? God's got a particular word for you. If you're in a relationship, I felt the Lord was talking about uh, a mum in particular with a daughter and just a family breakdown, a relationship that's broken down. I believe God's got a word for you this morning as well. And I've also felt God speaking to marriages. Is that if there's tension and difficulty in your relationship or in a marriage, if that's uh, your particular circumstance, then I felt the Lord wants to speak into that and just to learn something from that, from God's word, from Paul this morning. Because as uh, my fridge magnets uh, company that published this lovely verse from John uh, 16, 13 said, in this life you will have troubles. Now, not many fridge magnets actually say that because it wouldn't sell very well. Uh, But uh, that's the truth of it. That's Jesus' promise. In this life you will have trouble. So how do we handle that trouble? How do we handle those breakdown in relationships? How do we handle it like Paul when we're accused of saying something or doing something that's blatantly not true. What can we observe from Paul's example here that can be applied to our circumstances? So I'm going to give you a few things this morning. It's a bit of a buffet. Not everything's going to apply necessarily in your circumstance or in the circumstance you're in, I'm sure. But we just pray that by his Holy Spirit, God leads and guides us into his truth for us today. So the first thing is this. When you're facing a trial... Remember who you are and what you're called to. 
when you're facing a trial, remember who you are and what you are called to. Uh, so we share we have this little tradition with amongst the staff team when we meet in the week. Um, we, whoever's sort of speaking on the Sunday gets to lead a bit of a Bible study, and I was doing that, and I thought, this will be good. I'll take some notes, because there's some great people in the room, and they can give me some ideas for Sunday. Okay? And someone said, I've forgotten who it was, genuinely forgotten whoever said this, I've forgotten who you are. Um, but they said, Paul's incredibly calm here, considering he's in so much hot water, he's incredibly calm. And he was, you'll notice. John Stott, I wrote a lovely commentary on Acts, said, you know, one sense about Paul, he's now the worst of all kind of enemies. He's, uh, to Rome, he's an enemy of the state. He's a terrorist. In fact, if you look in some of the um, text around this chapter, they're accusing him of, of, of being a terrorist. They mix him up with somebody else who was a terrorist. Uh, he's trouble. He's a rioter. He's a, you know, he's a guy that's just trouble wherever he goes. So to, to Rome, he was an enemy of the state. To the Jews, he was an enemy of the church. He was a religious rebel, a heretic, a, a lawbreaker, a troublemaker in that sense. But despite all that, he remains calm. He remains composed. He remains particularly articulate, as you'd expect from Paul, I guess. And part of the reason for that, part of the clue for that is in the previous chapter. If you remember two or three weeks ago, I think it was, they unpacked this. And we have this incredible account, encounter of Jesus coming to speak to Paul while he's in, uh, in captivity. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you'll also testify about me in Rome. So Paul knew that he was bulletproof. That was the great thing, I thought. Paul thought, well, you, there's nothing you can do because Jesus himself has told me that I will go from Jerusalem via Caesarea to finally to Rome. He stood on that. He stood in the confidence of that. And I think sometimes we're in a trial situation. We forget what God, God has called us into. We forget what God has spoken over us, has, has, you know, has prophesied over us, maybe in your circumstance, in your life. And God calls us to, when we're facing a trial, just to remember who we are. There's some beautiful people here from my, our discipleship journey. Good to see you guys at the back. And um, one of the things that we've been doing with these guys the last three weeks is identity, identity, identity. Which it's absolutely key for Lance and I just to, to get the truth of this across. That, that one of the things that we forget as the people of God is who we are, what we're called to be. And, and when trials come in, sometimes that's the first thing that goes. We lose our shape, we lose our dignity, we lose that kind of uh, spoken truth over our lives, and we just, you know, we just, that's one of the ways the enemy gets in. So in a trial situation, remember who you are and remember what you're called to. Second one. In conflict situations, stick to the facts and speak the truth. Stick to the facts and speak the truth. We are people of the truth. Uh, we talked about it this morning. You will know the truth, we say, and the truth will set you free. We should speak, to the, speak the truth in love, Paul says uh, to the Ephesians church. So we're people of the truth. We shouldn't be afraid of the truth. We shouldn't be ashamed sometimes to speak up the truth. Sometimes we're afraid to say what the truth is. So let's take some example from Paul. If you've got your Bible open, have a look. Uh, maybe we can put it up on the screen. We're looking at verse 5. Because Paul gets thrown a pack of lies here, okay? Uh, what do they say about him? Verse 5. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, 
stirring up riots among the Jews. That wasn't true. It wasn't Paul that did that. It was some Asian Jews that did that. They stirred up the angry mob. And again in verse 5, he's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. I surmise that wasn't true either. You might have argued it was Peter or James. It certainly wasn't Paul. So that wasn't true either. And then this last bit, which is why I highlighted about the ceremony clean thing. He even tried to desecrate the temple. Now, that's not true either. That that might have been true in their interpretation, but Paul did his best to honor the temple, to honor the Jews in one sense. This business about joining with that Nazarite vow and being ceremonially clean. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple, he says in verse 18. I mean, I've heard some whoppers in my time, but there's three pretty big ones there, right? And this lawyer kind of positions his argument based around a lie, based around... Uh, some false claims that just weren't true about Paul. And you can imagine his blood boiling, saying, and he, and he didn't. Bless his heart, he stayed calm. And it, but he did speak the truth. Look at verse 12 there. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone in the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. Just plainly spoke the truth. Verse 18, I was ceremony clean when they found me in the temple. Uh, there was no crowd with me, nor, I was, nor was I involved in any disturbance. Don't be afraid of the truth. It's the truth that sets us free. So in a conflict situation, in a trial situation, just remember to speak the truth in love. Don't be ashamed of the truth. Speak the truth. Stick with the facts. Speak the truth. Don't put emotion into it. I know we so easily can do that, but don't put motion, emotion into it. Just speak the truth in love. Speak the facts. Okay, let's move on to another one. In a conflict situation, we need to build, broad, build bridges, not walls. And he said it wrong. In a conflict situation, build bridges, not walls. Who remembers the Donald Trump? We're going to build the wall. Remember that? In fact, uh, that um, slogan, actually it was a Martin Luther King quote, actually, kind of haunted uh, Trump all through his uh, campaigning then later, later on in his presidency. Uh, the slogan, Bill Bridges, Not Walls, was, was something that, um, or Bill Wall, get it right, Bill Walls, uh, no, that's right, isn't it? Bill Bridges, Not Walls, I've written it down on my notes wrong. That's a worrying thing. Uh, Bill, yeah, there you go. Hang on, let me just, let's just sort that out. Yeah, but right, so that's what we're encouraged to do, to build, I need to say it wrong again, build bridges, not walls. You should remember that bit. There you go, very good. And uh, there was even, this is how much uh, kind of crazy it got. I don't know if you you remember this, but the Pope was in, the, the Pope no less, was interviewed about this. And this is the quote, I found the quote from the Pope. A person who thinks about building walls and not building bridges is not a Christian. This is not the gospel. I mean, heavy criticism from the Pope, no less. Anyway, but that's the thing, right? So, so when we're in conflict, what do we do? We sometimes build walls. We don't build bridges. Look what Paul does. Isn't he clever? He looks for ground that they can find as common ground. Verse 14, I worship the God of our ancestors. True. They could also, that we agree, they could have said. 
I believe everything that's in accordance with the law that's written in the prophets, verse 14 again, verse 15. Are we tracking this up on this? No, maybe not. Uh, I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have. So Paul is very clever to remind his accusers of what they had in common, reminding the bridges they could build with each other. I agree, they might all say, all the way through. And here's my thing, right? I think so often in churches, we've been very good at building walls, not bridges, right? And you, you know, when you look around, the, you go onto Yellow Pages and, and, uh, or Google and find how many churches there are in the Bournemouth area, the diversity of churches is partly because we focused on the things that we can't agree on rather than the things that we can. That's often been our divided way. And I, and I get the fact that particular styles of churches are different, but sometimes we just focused on building walls, not bridges. A friend of mine was a, is a Presbyterian, and he said to me, as Presbyterians, we're not permitted to drink. And I said, well, that's a shame, because a glass of wine every day can have many wonderful benefits. And he said, well, like what? I said, well, for a start, it'll keep you from becoming a Presbyterian. Now, that's a joke, right? <laughs> but isn't that true? The churches over the years have argued whether Christians should drink or not, right? It's something we fall out of. We forget we can be united in Christ, but we argue over the fact that whether, whether it's okay for Christians to drink or not. And as churches over the years, we've done that. We've kind of, and I'm, I apologize for that. But I think we need to remember that we need to find ways of building bridges with each other. Jesus' prayer uh, from John 17 is Father let them be one <laughs> as we are one if you remember that lovely prayer that he prays for the church let them be one as we are one and I know we sometimes disagree about how we take communion and, and you know that's often a, a tension issue but there's this wonderful thing when we take bread and wine together we're just reminded what we and this is the phrase I use sometimes the common union, the word of communion, right? We're reminded what we've got in common and we're reminded what unites us in Christ. And surely, if nothing else, we can do that, right? We can build bridges uh, to our friends uh, in other churches and we should do that where, wherever we can. So in this conflict situation you're in, come back to, to grounding this into maybe a personal circumstances, just try and build bridges where you've got things in common. If you fall out in a particular relationship with a, a child or with your partner, just remind yourselves of the things you can agree on and what unites rather than what divides. Next one. In a conflict, don't throw stones. Don't throw stones in a conflict. It's so easy, isn't it, to throw the stones, the mud, whatever you like to call it around. Um, Paul didn't do that, and he didn't say a number of things that were pretty strong in his defense. Uh, verse 5, we found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots amongst the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader. You, these, these accusations were put on him. And, it's, and it says, so we seized him, it says. This was their lawyer that says, and he went, seized me? <laughs> you were out to kill me, come on. He didn't say that, you notice. And he said, he could have said, well, what about those 40 people who took a vow of chastity to, to make sure they, the sun didn't set in one sense before they killed me? When were you going to mention that? And there were plenty of things he could have said that were just thrown a stone or thrown a mud in the situation, but he chose not to, as the wisest king of the Bible said, 
A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Come on, let's be honest. How many times have you been in a a bit of an argument, a bit of a discussion with somebody, and it's so easy to say, and another thing, and I'm sure if you're um, anything like me, if you're married in particular, what you sometimes uh, argue about goes on to something else. Uh, Come on, we've all been there. You're arguing about where you're going on holiday, and before you know it, you're arguing about when the last time you unloaded the dishwasher. Uh, It's so easy to do, right? Because that's what happens. We kind of throw other things in there. Just doesn't help us, right? It just doesn't bless us. Just allow God to just keep you calm down in those circumstances. Keep you calm down, just to stick to uh, to the matter in hand. Don't don't throw stones. Don't throw stones. And finally, let me just sum this up with this because there's a little thing right at the very end that uh, I didn't read actually because it's a long reading. I didn't want to necessarily go through the whole chapter. Uh, but it's just almost buried as a throwaway line at the bottom of the chapter. And just God picked it up and, uh, with me and just said, look, just yes, remind them of this. And here we go. So it's down, of, if you, I don't know if it'll come up on the screen because I don't think I've got it. Sorry, James. Um, but I'll read it to you. Verse 22, if you've got uh, Acts 24. Let me just have a quick slurp. Sorry about that. Right. Uh, Thank you for muting the mic. All very good, Tim. Very good. Uh, That saved everybody. Um, Verse 22. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, uh, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he he said, I will decide your case. And he ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. And here's the sweet irony, Okay. Paul had come to Jerusalem via Caesarea, and he had stayed in the house of Philip the Evangelist. You'll know the story of um, uh, maybe the Ethiopian eunuch, if you know that story, that Philip we're talking about here. And he had four daughters that prophesied, and they obviously had some time together. And that's just where uh, this Agabus uh, prophet spoke about the belt and all that sort of stuff, right? And here's the sweet irony. He goes, he's taken back to the same place. So he's taken back out of Jerusalem by the Roman soldiers. He's taken back to Caesarea. And his friends uh, come and minister to him. Some, you know, we, the, uh, the commander gives him, give him some freedom, permit his friends to take care of him. Wasn't that, I thought it was just really beautiful, that thing. That, that Paul, God by his grace, had taken Paul back to the same place where he was obviously loved and cared for and well known. And here's the thing, right? We are not in this thing on our own, okay? And I, and I think this is the devil's kind of trick with us, so many things. But when we're in a conflict situation, we sometimes bear with it on our own, okay? And, and forgive us if we bang on about life groups all the time, but the reason we do is it's so, so important to be in the context of people that care for you and love you. I mean, much as it's lovely to all be here on a Sunday morning, we, you know, we don't quite get the same connection and interaction here. But in a life group that really works well, that's there for you. You get to build relationships. You get to share what's going on in your life, and you get people to pray and minister into that. And, and that's so, so vital. And, and that's what was beautiful here. This lovely little moment here where Paul is just comforted by some, some really great mates and people that care for him and had his back. And he was just able to say, look, oh, they've said all this and done all this. And I'm sure he just poured out his heart to them. But I'm sure they were there to encourage and bless him. So look, let me just encourage you in this. Whatever you're going through, 
And we'll just move into a time where we just allow God to come and speak to us on this now. But whatever you're going through, you are not in this thing on your own. You don't have to carry it alone. God has put you in a context, I'm sure, of people that care for you and love you and, and want to surround you with their love and their praise. And I would just, just encourage you to walk in that and just be uh, being, in one sense, to God's word in doing that. So let's allow him to do that.